You never know what's around the corner when it comes to compliance in the hospitality industry. Luckily, Principal Design are leaders in sustainable packaging and can advise your cafe, restaurant or venue on the right choices without compromising on branding. You don't have to sacrifice design that sells for packaging that fills the land. Speak to Principal Design today and learn about the great packaging options available for your food and bed business. Welcome to another Principal of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Principal of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight talking, ethically minded and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now with today's show, today we're broadcasting from the very place where most of our conversations unfold, the Worksmith Recording Studio here in Collingwood. Now, we've got a real treat for you guys today as we bring two familiar faces back for a rare joint appearance. Tim Varney and Darren Leaney, two of the dynamic team behind Worksmith. From batching cocktails to shaping the future of beverages, they're shaking up the industry and pouring out innovation. What an amazing tagline at the start. Welcome, Tim and Darren. How are you? Hey, Sean. Would you believe that I wrote that myself? I was trying to... There's a lot to unpack from that. (laughs) Pouring out innovation. That took me hours. That was good. That's very clever. Um, Gents, fantastic to have you both on. Thanks so much for being on this final live podcast of the year. So great to have you here, especially in the places I said at the start that we record most of our podcasts here in Melbourne. Um, Now, for those who haven't listened to the podcast before, and I know people are going to go and listen back to those podcasts we've done in the last couple of years with you both separately. Are they? I think they will. Well, they better. Tim Varney, like our podcast with you was like, it was amazing. I'm convinced the numbers were say still haven't been. No, I'm serious. No, trust me. I tell, or I don't tell people when the numbers are low, but yours were exceptionally high. <laughs> That's weird. And Daz's was as well. Oh, there you go. Oh, they were does, very good. No, they were both good. No, no, no. <laughs> they were both very, like, very good. Trust Paul's me. never said anything about that. <laughs> 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 very good. Um, now, for people who aren't going back to those podcasts, can you guys tell us in like three to four minutes a bit of the story about how you came to being here at Worksmith? Maybe, Darren, because you're so prepped with notes in front of you and actually have prepared for this podcast, unlike Tim Varney, then um, maybe we start with you. Tim's more of a mental prepper. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the monologue. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so my name's Darren. I was a bartender for about 15 years. Um, I worked, I'm from Adelaide, I worked in Adelaide, I worked in London for a little bit, and then I moved to Melbourne in 2015, and I've been here ever since. Um, I was kind of looking for a break from day-to-day service and like beverage operation towards the end of my decade and a half, and so it was just sort of like really fortuitous timing with Worksmith coming along and offering a role of like head of product, um, and just looking to do something sort of I guess, creative and innovative outside of the pressures of having to show up at five o'clock, be in a briefing, make drinks all night as well. Mm. Um, So yeah, it's sort of, it comes with a really nice like work-life balance, but um, that's how I got from there to here. Awesome. Thank Mm. you. Tim? Few things the same. 
I was away as well for a long time. I've worked in coffee forever. Um, I have worked in like as a roasting capacity, as a bar manager capacity. Um, I ran a coffee competition there for some time. Um, A co-roasting space in Melbourne as well. Um, The way I sort of came about Worksmith was sort of just via actually Bar Liberty and Michael when he was doing service there we used to just chat over the bar. And so he was telling me all about his plans for Worksmith. And I was running him through all the things that I was doing with Bureau at the time. And yeah, we just became close mates. And and then, uh, yeah, an opportunity arose for for me to come aboard with uh, Worksmith. So I I jumped in. Awesome. Mm. Now today we're gonna talk a lot about Grata because Grata has been released in the last couple of months uh, since the Melbourne Cocktail Festival, MCF. But before we get into that, I'm really curious, like you both did really nice little uh, intros there, but you're both incredibly innovative and and in your own careers first to do things, is it hard to be that creative? Maybe Tim, if I start with you, because you, you talked about the championship, the coffee championship, it was... It was the World Press Championship. Yeah, yeah, correct. And obviously the, co- work, the co-roasting space, which was the first in Melbourne at the time, right? Mm. So those are innovative things. Like, is it hard for you both to be first to market and trust your own opinion? It comes naturally. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> just endless ideas, just a constant flow. Uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like I stumble upon them. It's like timing is a big thing, I think. Um, and I think it's always the people around me that help shape things um i definitely don't feel like i do them by myself um yeah i don't i don't know i don't know how whether that's whether that's a a conscious thing that i'm doing but um yeah i mean grider's it's a i'm sure we'll get into how that came about um a little later but um that was probably one of the first ones I mean, the the background in, into how it came about was it wasn't me leading the charge by any stretch of the imagination. So um, I was sort of, in many respects, was dragged along kicking and screaming, but um, but it's completely changed now uh, and I'm very, very, very behind it. Um, and I'll give you all the reasons a little <laughs> bit later. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, I think... Um, it's just right place, right time for me. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, the World Aeropress Championships was all about doing something um, that wasn't um, the sort of stuffy, formulaic uh, competition stuff that was happening in coffee at the time. It was just the antithesis of that. Mm. Um, so, yeah. It was just that one was just about having fun. I think there's a little bit of a fun element to a lot of those at least for the Aeropress Championships. Mm. Um, and Bureau was, it wasn't it wasn't our idea to, to do a co-roasting space that came about. Um, uh, there was a, a space in, in New York actually that was doing co-roasting. It was a little bit more sort of sleep on the couch arrangements for people, but, um, but uh, it spurred on an idea. Mm. Yeah, off we went. Cool. Mm. What about you, Darren? Um, I... I guess I've, it's kind of come, not naturally, but I've always enjoyed working with my hands. Like before I was 
in a bar. I was working as an apprentice boilermaker. Um, and so I guess my first bar job really helped shape the whole creativity side of things because this is, you know, 2007 in Adelaide. Mm. So I, it, that was still kind of the dark ages of Australian cocktail renaissance like it wasn't in melbourne and sydney but adelaide it was like everything was bought in everyone was using like frozen juice um and so i was just lucky to to get a job in a bar that was also that also owned a uh, organic fruit and veg shop and so we'd get all of our produce from mm -hmm. that shop and we'd make all of our own ingredients um and so kind of before i knew about actual bartending i knew about putting flavors together and like making you know bespoke little things and it was like it was pretty cowboy like we didn't really use scales it was just like chopped rhubarb covered with water mm. strain it off add the same amount of sugar but like it was just like that kind of stuff is like it's so uh run of the mill now but it's like back then it was like an entirely different thing to be learning and then like you get to go and see the like fruits of your labors like you've spent the whole day prepping and then you get to go out and literally have hundreds of interactions with people that night like talking about the ingredients or like showing them the drinks that you made and mm. so um and so yeah i guess that kind of just grew naturally throughout my uh my time behind the bar and just you know i don't love being wrong but i love trial and error um interesting yeah like I, it's like in an argument it's sort of like i think it's you know it's very much like strong opinions lightly held and it's like you only know what you know um mm. but what you know you should believe in um and so, but then it's like, if you're making drinks, like if you're making ingredients, it should be what happens if you do 10% more of this or 10% less of this. It's like, it's just, I don't know. I think it's just interesting to experiment for the sake of deliciousness. Have you always had that philosophy? That's very interesting. Which one? The one about like the, the you know, good opinions, like tightly, what did you say? Good strong opinions. Strong opinions, uh, loosely held. Loosely held, yeah. Tightly yeah. wound. <laughs> Maybe for some. Maybe that's my <laughs> That's like, was that, was that developed from someone or was that always your own mentality? Because that's uh, really amazing. I think I picked that up in London from a bar manager. Okay. Um, I think it was Marcus Selzanus, if he listens to this. Um, I'm sure that he has said something like that. But yeah, it was sort of, you know, uh, you know, if you believe in something, believe in it passionately, but don't be afraid to have your mind changed. Mm. Um, because, yeah, otherwise you're just going to live the same year for 75 years and that will be your life. Yeah. Um, now that's part of growing up, isn't it? Like, I remember being the young, the young coffee buck, <laughs> <laughs> thinking you know it all and being really um, outspoken about things. And, yeah, it comes with time, I suppose, that. That um, that nicely worded saying, Darren. What is it again? Strong opinions, loosely held. There you go. Yeah, I'm going to use that. Sure, that's go great. Um, like I say, respectfully disagree. Yeah, yeah. I use that a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not because I disagree all the time, but I like that saying. Mm -hmm. um, I, I very much believe that you create your own luck. So I think, even though you're both very humble in that opinion, and you know it was the right place, right time, I definitely think you create your own luck in that instance as well. Um, Let's go and talk about Grata. So Grata is an amazing product. I tried it for the first time at Bar Bellamy uh, a couple of weeks ago when we did M when you guys did MCF. Obviously, that was now a couple of months ago when this podcast is launched. Um, shout out to Oscar and the team down there. Um, can you walk us through the development of this product? Who wants to start off? I think, Daz, you should start off. 
Because okay. I think it sat with you to begin with. Yeah. Okay. When did the idea begin for it? Well, in all honesty, I think the idea that has kind of been like the, I guess the key driver was formed before I had joined, but we, it was still very much, we didn't have an initial recipe. I think the guys from Caretakers Cottage had been playing around with it a bit, but because there's the coffee side of Worksmith, which is Stella, mm. the idea of using as much, using our product, which is coffee, and using as much of that as possible to lead the flavour profile of an espresso martini or a coffee-flavoured drink, like, no one else has really done that, using mm. high-quality, good quality, and using as much of it as possible, whereas normally it's more about, you know, I'm X brand of vodka, I want to get as much of my vodka in as possible because that's what I want to sell. Mm. And I guess for us as well, it's it's different in that we're not really looking to sell the vo- the coffee it's more we're looking to make a great product mm. that will hopefully you know be seen as innovative and creative and is a way of relieving time pressure and stress in venues but also kind of gives bartenders and people out there uh you know a delicious coffee flavored coffee first product mm. um mm. and so yeah it was that was sort of already fledged out and that was always just kind of something that i think i kept coming back to during the development process was like you know why would we we shouldn't add any other flavors and that's i think something tim believes really strongly it's like it's just let's if there's flavor to be had let's get it from the coffee Mm. and let's work out how to do that and so yeah it's been a a great learning process of just what you can manipulate with coffee and sugar Mm. essentially yeah for some reason the coffee world in its um in the place that it's in now where you can experience, um, you know, multiple different regions, varieties, processing methods. We're all kind of used to that, I suppose, to a, to a fair degree. But it seems to have missed the bar world a little bit. Um, I know that bartenders drink lots of great coffee outside of work, but for some reason, it, at least from, from my perspective, it seemed to have um, missed the boat in terms of um, making great drinks with great coffee um there was i'm sure that there are plenty of examples of people doing it but um yeah it's it was really exciting to as darren says to take the inherent character of a coffee and let that do the talking so to speak for the for grada um and not yeah not use any additionals to to bring out extra flavor characteristics Mm. um yeah but yeah because it's such a like it's such a complex liquid Mm. and it's you know it's like it's acidic there's sweetness there's body there Mm. like it's just one of the most complex liquids you can put into a drink um and when you are drinking it normally in a cafe like if you go to i don't know auntie pegs or something and you're just drinking Mm. black coffee there you really like, you know, being shown and guided through that, it helps you understand like Mm. how deep that world is and how little you know, really. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, it's like, it's an exciting ingredient, but it's also an important ingredient if Mm. you're going to use it. It's, you know, you can, it can, it can wear many hats in a drink. That's it. Yeah. I've, I've always sort of balked at espresso martinis, which is probably the, the lead coffee, cocktail i suppose Mm. um because typically 
it doesn't taste like coffee that I want to drink. And it's either that it's a bit of a pedestrian coffee flavour, tastes like a coffee lolly or, um, yeah, it's maybe it's too sweet for me and I'm not used to having sugar in, in my coffee and yet sugar and coffee work so unbelievably well together. Um, yeah, it's... it's uh, so for me, initially, it was like, I don't drink espresso martinis. Coffee people don't drink espresso martinis. Uh, they're always bad and blah, 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 and moany, moany, vani. <laughs> um, but then it's just obviously there's a massive opportunity here to, to, to produce something that is delicious. Why shouldn't it be? Um, so that's what got me excited in the end. Yeah. You said, Darren, that like... Um, the idea for Grado had been around for obviously a while with the Worksmith team. When did it actually formulate into, actually, we're going to do this project? Was that before this year or was that last year? Uh, like when did development start on it? Well, I mean, development started on it in May or June 2022. Yep. And it sort of, I guess it started its life as a bottled espresso martini and as it got more refined, more flavoursome, we kind of as and we were learning as we were going along. Um, it sort of was realised that there was more to it than just a bottled cocktail. That it mm. was a cocktail ingredient. It was a standalone product as well. That just so happened to also be an espresso martini ready to shake and strain. Mm. So, yeah. And how did the brand come about? As in the name, like how did the Grata? How did it become Grata? We couldn't use Stella, basically. Right. <laughs> Stella Artois. I've got that all tied up. <laughs> Of course. Um, so that yeah, that was a bit of a bummer. So we we went on a long journey, um, Darren, Michael, myself, Jane, uh, in trying to come up with a name that sat well with Stella, um, and that was quite a journey in itself. Um, I think it was Michael in the end that came up with Grada. It's a completely made up word. Um, so there's no secret meaning behind it. It's there's not. No. You know. Well, we're going to make that up ourselves. But um, <laughs> no, there isn't. We did. We did. Obviously, Stella. You know, the, the Latin meaning for Stella is is star. Um, so we went down the sort of route of what Latin words can we find that are that are going to work well with Stella um, that might mean the inverse of of star. You know, what would light versus dark be? Um, or night and day, um, and we, we we came up with some great ones, but unfortunately, a lot of the great uh, Latin words, or um, I think we we had some like um, yeah, it was it was mostly Latin, and and they were all unfortunately taken by other booze brands. It, it seems to be that if you come up with a great idea for a brand name, there is a gin that's already named that. Um, we. we we found um yeah. we thought we were being clever yeah it turns out <laughs> there are lots there are actually lots of really clever people out there who have yes that's right done that quite a long time before us yeah and probably <laughs> without chat gpt as well, which we <laughs> relied very heavily on um yeah so yeah it's 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 kind of meaningless and it was like anything when you're naming a brand or a business, it feels like the most important thing you're doing at, 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 at a certain time. But you recognise very quickly that it becomes, you, you, you sit with it and it becomes very the norm and mm. you it holds a, a special place in your heart by the end. Um, 
And so for us, it's, I think it's kind of nice that it, it has no association with anything else, but it feels, to me, it sounds um, familiar in a way. It feels like it should mean something, um, but uh, it'll just have to mean delicious coffee and spirit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to sit in the espresso martini pocket before we go into more development questions that I've got. Darren, why do you think espresso martinis are such a popular product in a bar? And second fold to that, why do you think they're discounted so heavily in bars? Mm. Um, I guess the reason they're so popular is it's... That's suggesting that it's not a good drink. Correct. Yeah. That's what okay. I mean. Cool. Okay, that's what he's asking. Yeah. 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 Uh... I guess so popular because it's like you're getting a double buzz. Like yeah. you're essentially you're having a shot of espresso, maybe more, and you're getting at least a shot of vodka. Again, maybe two shots of vodka. So, you know, I see the appeal for being out on the tear and having a great night out. And like, I don't know, maybe you've had a couple too many and you just need a little pick me up. Mm. Like, yeah, I think the appeal of them for anyone who drinks regularly is pretty universal i think for melbourne there's another piece around like the sort of the pride and coffee culture and cafe culture that exists within the city um and the people of the city um a lot of people work in cafes during the day and at bars or restaurants during the night and Mm -hmm. so there's this like natural crossover of the of the two worlds and um yeah it kind of feels like that drink has had its peaks and troughs over the last you know nearly 40 years, but it's kind of never fallen out of favour mm. here. I think Fred Siggins wrote a really good article on Punch about it, and it's just sort of, and it ties into the fact that there was a big wave of Italian immigration in like the 1950s, I think, and they brought espresso machines with them, whereas like when that happened in America, the espresso machine hadn't been invented yet when mm. they immigrated to America, and so they brought espresso culture with them, and that has sort of like really filtered into our our culture here Mm. um then for the reason that they're discounted so much um is i think that they are just like you never get an order of one so it's like as soon as you get one you know you're getting more as soon as you send out one you know that there's three more coming out of the check machine interesting and it's not going to stop um for until your service stops pretty much so you can either you know, there have been bars that have made them really well and have just copped it and been like, well, we're going to make a lot of them, so we might as well make it great. Mm. Or it's like, well, we're going to make a lot of them. Why don't we just make as much money as possible off them? Because people, although they are looking for something that's like balanced and flavoursome, they're maybe not as discerning as someone who's like, I want a Melbourne Gin Company martini with Maiden Eye Kina as my vermouth. They're not looking for like the nuances. They're probably more looking for like the double rush, I think. And so Mm. it is sort of about, you know, if you don't have a coffee machine, how are you going to make that? Are you just going to go and buy a bunch of espresso from the cafe down the road? Are you going to ask the cafe to just put their like spare shots into a bottle for you? Mm. You can buy a cold brew. Um, And like all these things, it's like, you know, coffee should be expensive. It should be so much more expensive than it is, but it's not. And so, you know, cost of goods on an espresso martini that you're making from scratch is, aren't, isn't really that high. So you know you're going to make a lot of them. So mm. you can kind of make your money just in volume. And so it can be an $18 drink and you know you're going to make 
I don't know, a hundred a night maybe. It's like yeah, you, you're making money. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. That's a really that's a really good take. I just thought uh, it's kind of, and we talked about this on our podcast a couple of years ago. And coffee prices should be higher and should be treated like wine instead. Instead, mm. it's not. Um, but yeah, after the third espresso, twelve dollar espresso martini, you're not really noticing the nuance of uh, the coffee anymore, like no. you would after a third wine. When all of a sudden you you know, you're proliferating what what region it came from and and how great it tastes and all that kind of stuff. It's very different, isn't it? So yeah, mm. probably more ready to like jump up on the table. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or I don't know. Start, yes. start buying like rounds yeah. of shots. Look, if we're getting more people on tables, then we feel like we've done it. Yeah, job. That yeah, that's the mo for this brand, isn't it? Yeah, more people on tables. Um, <laughs> um, how did you guys work together on this project of development, coming from coffee and then coming from obviously from bars and spirits? Like, how did that amalgamation go? Uh, I think it's on paper, it's the the perfect combination, right? Yes. Because um, there is no way in the world I'd be able to do this without. Darren, that's for sure. Um, and vice versa. Thank God he said it. <laughs> <laughs> he was waiting for it. Um, yeah, so... Tim's it, I literally mean, done all the work. No. <laughs> far, far, the far. The hardest stuff is 100% the coffee. Yeah. So. Mm. But I, I think that it's so great to do it with somebody else who is um, a, a flavour-tasting nerd, I suppose, like me. Um, and, yeah, I, I feel like we spur each other on in... In, uh, in lots of ways, lots of good ways. We challenge each other, which is really good as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's not, I don't think it was like, um, it wasn't originally, originally born from the fact that we have a, a coffee person and a, um, you know, a, a spirits bar person. So let's do a this. Mm. Um, we were on that track already and so it made even more sense that um, thankfully Darren and I were here to sort of take it on its journey um, and get to where it is today, yeah. How did you think about the coffee profile differently than how you would in your normal way of like doing cupping and all that kind of stuff? Does, mm. does looking at a hot coffee versus a cold coffee and a, something's going to be mixed with a spirit, like obviously that's different. I had to learn so much, so much. I mean, I think that... Um, Along the way, we've we've done loads of like bench samples and then production runs as well. That is another beast altogether. Um, understanding, um, I mean, I think that that the very um, nature of what we're trying to do with Grada is whatever flavour and aromas the coffee has, that's what you get, and that's what we're going to highlight. So. It, there's a little bit of we could use any coffee and provided it's brewed well and it's high quality, then it feels like we're going to res be resulted in a, in a great product. That said, we did, we are conscious of, um, we were conscious of selecting a coffee that was going to uh, be a little bit more coffee flavoured in inverted commas. Um, and... And so that's why we selected a, a, a Brazilian coffee, a pulp natural processed Brazil. Um, and that sort of hits a certain flavor profile that works really well with, with sugar and, and with, with booze as well. So um, it was a long, it, for me, it was like learning from scratch basically. And a lot to do with that was, was what kind of strength we needed to, to brew the coffee. 
mm. yeah, at for it to balance well with the sugar and the and the and the booze. Mm. Darren, was it was it harder to get the development of the product right before it went to bottles or before it went to whatever implement you're putting in? Sorry, um, or was it harder once it had gone into production and gone into bottles and then tasting it from there? What element was sort of the one that took the longest and the harder for you guys? Mm, I think it's probably once it was initially bottled because, yeah, once it was bottled and we got those initial trial run samples back, we realised there was like so much work that still had to mm, be done. Yeah. Because the interesting thing is, is like what we can do here at you know, anywhere from f- half a litre up to five litres is just so vastly different to doing that at, like, 250 litres, 500 litres, like, 5,000 litres. And so, yeah, it was... We, we kind of thought that we had something pretty good. We didn't, um, which is, like, and it, you know, which is a, a hard lesson to learn yeah. when you get back, like... I don't know, 50 cases or something, and you realise, like, you've got to work work out what's happening with the filtration. Um, the brew, stri- like, the brew, the coffee flavour wasn't as good. It was kind of like, is it too sweet? Is it not sweet enough? Like, it came out tasting a lot more alcoholic than when we'd done it, done, like, trials. And so, yeah, it was sort of, like, realising that we now had a, had a spec that we couldn't actually use, and it was, I think, understanding that it... Well, I don't think we understood it at the time, but it was like, looking back in hindsight, it's a beautiful thing, but it's like we, the work kind of didn't start until we'd done a scaled up production. And then it, and then it quickly became like, I'd say like eight months of pretty much constant thinking and mm. tinkering about it, uh, about the liquid and like how to brew it, get the brew strength right, what happens, what's happening with filtration, like why is it happening? Why is it fine on the? Why is it fine here? Mm. But why, when we brew it at scale, is it not fine? Like, and what's the missing link? Um, mm. And so, yeah, it was a. That was it, yeah, it was harder once it had been brewed, and that was when the real work started. I think. Mm. How did, how does the coffee over the period of a year, and obviously seasonality and all that kind of things, the way that coffee changes. Mm-hmm. How do you need to think about that in regards to the product like this, Tim? Mm, we've had a pretty good window with this coffee because it has a great shelf life as green coffee. Um, so we haven't had to deal too much in the coffee um, becoming sort of past crop or staling, thankfully. Um, so we've hit we've hit a really good window with um, chasing the the cycles of um, the production of this particular coffee. So thankfully that is one element that we've not had to deal with um, too severely. Um, you know, we did a lot of work very, very early on on the roast profile of the of the coffee, which is in a pretty good place at the moment. Um, and so, yeah, the typical things that you have to worry about when roasting and brewing coffee exist but are... Uh, even harder because your brew method primarily is so vastly different to, you know, typical espresso brewing or typical filter brewing. Um, and that's been the biggest learning curve for, for me, that's for sure, yeah. Was it hard during the development process, especially four of you with Michael and with Jane, and you, you do 50 cases and they don't work? Mm. And I imagine you get pretty pissed off about that. 
how do you move forward from that and then go again after you've spent so much time on development and energy and, and passion for a project like this? How do you have the resolve to keep going forward and develop it more? Uh, well, there's a, I mean, there's, there's a kind of a, there's Michael and Roscoe are endlessly positive and uh, that's a great thing. Um, I feel like I'm slightly more in the camp of I don't want to do anything until it's perfect, mm. which slows me down. Um, so to have that draw from the Michael and Roscoe's, for, at least for me, I can't speak for Daz, but for me, it's meant that we've moved a little faster and we're in a position to be able to do failed production runs and still be okay. I mean, for some people that might might um, sink them. Um, so we've been lucky in that we've had that um, wiggle room to be able to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, there's, I can't think of any other, anybody else that's producing anything that wouldn't go through a similar process of major fails and major learnings um, mm-hmm. to get them to where they are. So I guess it's part of the, part of the course. Mm. But yeah. 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 I think, yeah, I kind of, I am not so much about the perfection of it. I think it's mm. more, you can see it see when it's been made and you can see how it can then be improved from there um and that is like it's a luxury that we have that like we've still had a product that is sellable even though it's not as good as what we know it can be whereas now we're at a point where it is currently utilizing all the things that we learned over probably close to a year period Mm. Um, and it's really like it's just you know something it sounds so simple now it's like brew strength filtration Mm. tds like sugar content it's like oh these are all like it's just four or five little things but you don't Mm. know until you know um Mm. and so yeah and i guess it comes back to like enjoying enjoying having a problem enjoying the discomfort of like that's not very good why isn't it as good what do we like what has possibly caused it to go from being great when we made it here to not great now that we've got x amount of bottles mm. um and so yeah it's kind of like i enjoy sitting with those uncomfortable feelings and being like you know thinking about them ruminating on them mm. and then you know oftentimes it's like it come the the answer or an idea comes like you know walking to the shops or something mm. like that when it's just like just completely tuned out and it's like oh we should try that mm. um yeah. or other times it comes on like you know you speak to people who are just like that much smarter and are that much more experienced and they they might even let something slip that they don't mean to tell you. And it's like, well, that's that, a that's nugget. a Google rabbit hole, you know, to yeah. go down. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I remember asking you a similar question last time we had you on the show, Darren, but, like, how did you know when to stop and when it was right? He never stops. <laughs> <laughs> or is it a constant evolution? Well, it is a constant evolution, but it's also, I don't know, it's like... I feel that I haven't learned anything new about this liquid for a while. I don't know what else there is to learn in regards to, I mean, and this is the thing, there is so much more to learn about it, but it's like for what we want it to be and where we want it to be, it's like for me, I see it as like, if I'm making this drink from scratch in a bar, 
I expect to be able to do the same when pouring it from a bottle or pulling it from a keg, mm. and I expect them to look the same and taste the same. And so that for me is my good enough point. It's like if it's if it looks the same and tastes the same as a single one versus when you've made, you know, the equivalent of ten thousand individual drinks or something, then that's it's like okay, that's that's great. That's a good spot to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like whatever other learnings just organically happen, it's like, well, let's try that. Let's see what happens and, you know, let's explore those in due course. But mm-hmm. it's kind of like, again, I guess the thing is like consistency is key. And like sometimes creativity is actually the enemy. It's like mm-hmm. we've got a product now. It's in market. Can't really be telling people this is what it is. And then mm-hmm. being like, actually, though, in a couple of years, we're just going to change the sugar mm. in it. We're going to change it. Like, and I mean, the thing is, we will, but it'll be a different release. And it's sort of, yeah, it's about now the learning is probably how can we keep it as close to version 24 or whatever it was mm. as possible and, and you know, keep those well, natural was, inconsistencies yeah. as minimal as possible. There, w- there was the moments when we... You know, we cracked open a bottle from production, you know, 23 versions in and poured it just with an ice cube. And sort of there was a sensation of you're tasting it for the first time, even though mm-hmm. you've tasted it a billion times before. And the bit that uh, that was so interesting to me that we'd captured a couple of times before was um, complexity in the drink. Um as Darren was talking about before, there's so much complexity in coffee. It can get sort of uncomplexed <laughs> when you add other ingredients. But um, we were we were able to well in that moment in tasting it for me it was like oh wow I'm getting very clear and in focus flavor profiles or flavor characteristics and uh, aromatics. And they're, you know, they're really snapped into focus and it's evolving and it's interesting and it's not one dimensional at all. Um, And that for me was a real moment of like, aha, I feel like this particular, you know, 001 version that we've done is in a really good space. And yeah, we we don't feel like we want to be tinkering away and evolving it. Um, it's, It's in a really good spot. And if we can keep that consistency up. Um, then we're in a, a really good spot. Mm-hmm. Tim, you're you're responsible for a lot of the brand um, of Worksmith and what it looks and feels like, and obviously with the homegrown product rolled out as well. How did you go to market with Grada? And then did you do anything differently with how you went to market with Grada than maybe some lessons you learned with, with doing homegrown? Well, I think it's... it's the first thing I want to say about that is that it's certainly a, a big, big team effort um, in terms of creative direction and and uh, how we're shaping the brands. Um, I think with with Grada that was even more so um, because I think I think Darren was incredibly crucial. I mean, Darren's got a great great taste and a creative eye and is a creative person just as much as I am. Um, and so bouncing off each other was really good. Obviously, Michael and Jane's input was 
really important as well. So it was, it felt like a real team effort. Mm. Um, you know, going through the process of coming up with the name, for instance, was was completely the four of us sitting in the room, flying, <laughs> flying, chucking names on a whiteboard and and um, arguing over them, <laughs> arguing over the merits of them. So I think that. You know, obviously, each of the brands that we've created from Worksmith have all had very different um, aesthetics and uh, for different markets. Um, and I think for me, Grada has felt closest to me. Um, but I don't think I've approached it necessarily in any different way than, than all the other brands, except that I have a very um, strong sense of what good coffee is. And I have a very strong sense of what else has happened in coffee from a branding perspective. Mm. Um, but that's that's where it ends for me. I, that's where I have to really lean and tap into the Darrens and the Janes and the Michaels in terms of what's happening in the coffee liqueur world or the booze world. Mm. Um, and for us to formulate what feels right for Grider off the back of that. Okay. Mm. Um, sorry. This is obviously a really competitive space in where Grider is sitting currently at the moment. Darren, how are you? How do you think you're going to get? How is the brand looking to cut through with Grider in a really specific place? Like, how are you guys actually working with bars themselves to use this product in venue? It's. I think it's almost too early to sort of say how that will end up happening. I think it's at the moment it's about you know, utilising a very small network that I guess has been built by Tim, Jane, Michael, myself over, you know, our collective years within the industry. And it's like, it's just about showing people a good product, an innovative product that they can put their spin on and kind of hope that they will help grow the, grow the brand organically. But it's also just about giving... I guess giving people something that we believe in, which is, you know, half the battle and just sort of like letting them do their own thing with it. Not really, but not telling people how to use the product. It's mm. more, you know, giving them, we've got some recipes on the back. They're truly just there to try and like spark creativity and inspiration. It's like, oh, if it works with pineapple juice in a jungle bird, like what else can it work with in a tropical drink? Like, um, you know, and just like letting people kind of run wild with it. And then I think from that, it's got this like bleed down effect to the, you know, the greater, wider hospitality industry because it's sort of like everyone is looking up to someone. Mm. And, you know, if you see those people doing something with something, you want to get it. And then someone's looking up to you. And so it just kind of has this like natural trickle down and yeah. Although that said, would love to do more stuff like what Bar Bellamy did for the launch of it. Um, it was very cool doing like the hub for Melbourne Cocktail Festival and doing like the Grada night. Mm. Um, it'd be great to actually do some more trainings where I think it would be really cool to do, you know, a cupping of the actual coffee that we use in the in the liquid and then tasting the tasting Grada on its own and then tasting it in cocktails and um, mm. yeah, I don't know. I feel that there's a you know, because of the complexity of coffee, the depth of coffee, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of ways that engagement can happen with mm. the liquid mm. and the brand. 
I mean, Daz, you'll need to correct me, but it feels like in terms of like what coffee liqueurs are on bars, it feels to me like Kahlua kind of had the the biggest sort of portion and then in swooped Mr. Black, I suspect, with a an even better product. Um, and they they introduced much better coffee, it seemed, and focused a lot more on the coffee side of things. Mm. So it feels, it feels like work has been done by um, other people to um, educate, I guess, what really good coffee could can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like hopefully, um, you know, I, I get the sense that bartenders really care about where their product is from and that's what Grad is all about. Um, and so hopefully, you know, we just tap into that very simple um, way of being as a bartender, mm. you know, caring about provenance or the people behind a particular liquid. Yeah. Is that, is that yeah, accurate? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah, so yeah. And it's like, you know, you look at the age we live in, like people care about where their eggs come from. Like they don't want to drink wine with sulfites or fish scales used in the, mm. you know, production process. And it's sort of like... Why would you, you know, why drink a coffee liqueur that you wouldn't drink the coffee from? Mm. It's sort of like cooking with wine, right? Like why use cooking wine when you could just go and buy a bottle of table wine for like $5 and use that? Mm. It's like, you know, it's not going to be that enjoyable to drink, but it will make a whole lot better dish Mm. than, than using like a salted cooking wine so that, you know, the dishwasher or whoever can't get drunk off it when they go to like <laughs> refill it for the chef like, or whatever 100%. yeah so yeah it's like i don't know people i yeah i think it's like bartenders but like people in general care beyond yeah, yeah. They do. and they want you know people want to know those little stories mm. and, you know not necessarily nerd out but you know it's nice to know that yeah. this is an agricultural product and it comes from a family's farm in brazil mm. like, that's cool mm. Obviously, as we were saying before, Grata got launched at MCF this year. Like, and Darren, you were talking about the different bars that were part of that, and how you were obviously part of that. I saw you basically every night on social on socials at a bar that you were running or being part of. What are some of the creative drinks, most creative drinks that you saw using Grata during that week? Um, it was Darren's drinks. I mean, no, yeah. at the hub, absolutely yeah. not. Um, <laughs> I think full disclosure, I was behind the bar the whole week, so I didn't really get to go and visit any bars. Interesting. Um, Mm. I think from what I saw of the photo shoots when they were being done at Worksmith, I thought 1806's drink looked really good, the sort of like coffee, cognac, chocolate Sazerac, Mm. uh, had like a float of cream on top. So, you know, I don't know how true that is to a Sazerac um, <laughs> but it sounds delicious is that the one that had the, the chocolate croissant yeah, in the image it's as well it sound, yeah. sounds delicious wow. it looks great and yep. so you know I'm having I'm being an unnecessary dick <laughs> um, but yeah I think that looked really good uh, the folks at Little Lon uh, I think they did something quite cool as well it looked really good I don't think I actually remember trying it which is annoying um, maybe you should edit this out. Yeah. <laughs> but those guys are always really creative, though. Well, that little well that's it. It's like when I think, you know, the fact that I didn't, that I don't remember their drink, but when we dropped off the bottle of Grata for them and I remember trying, like, their absinthe and mm. a range of their gins, it's like I don't think I've ever walked in there and not left 
slightly happier mm. you know, <laughs> than when I walked in. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do some amazing stuff. So, I don't know, it's just nice to see the, the creative side and, like, see a younger generation, I guess, of bartenders, like, coming to the party and, like, embracing just doing, you know, just playing with flavour. Were there any other milk punches, Daz, now that you are a famous... He's got his own meme now. Did you see this, no? Sean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the meme? Well, it's Anchovy Toast, I think, is the the Instagram account. And I'm um, not talking about this. Oh, we're not talking about well, this? Well, I mean, you can talk about it. Okay, I'll I talk about it. Talk about <laughs> yeah. Well, that'd be weird, too. It's the, the picture. It, can you describe memes on a podcast that seems... Oh, we'll try. Let's go. It's the classic... Um, the classic scene in The Lion King, <laughs> Darren's rubbing his oh, eyes. <laughs> I saw that this week. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, anyway, it was, it was something about how lots of different bars now are doing milk punches and it's all because of Darren. It makes sense. It's that's, not. That's the sentiment. It it's, really It isn't. probably isn't, but I, I had a giggle. <laughs> Maybe I should put Grater in ice cream because I keep seeing on your social media that you're every other day you're having an ice cream. It's very that's good with ice cream. <laughs> yeah, it true. would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, my final question to you guys is like, obviously there's a lot of projects going on. You guys are, every time I'm in this space with you, like there's a lot of e- positive energy that's happening. It's been a, it's been a full on year as well. well obviously the launch of Grata, a lot of things changing with Worksmith and Homegrown as well. Like how do you guys make sure that you do have a fun work environment, working together as a small but effective team? It's one thing that happens at around about... 1 p.m. every day. It's lunch. It's lunch. <laughs> no, but it's, po- it's post-lunch. Darren, probably 80 to 90% of the time, will bring the team some s- sweet treats or snacks from various retailers around Smith Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it, really. That's all we've got to live for. <laughs> the one o'clock snack. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's just we've got a really great team of people. We all get along. Um yeah, the environment is, is is that we've sort of created here is is it's not too crazy serious. I mean, we obviously have to work hard most of the time, but um, there is room for some jovial behaviour at, at times, which I think is is good mm. for the team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Darren? Do you think it's your you know your uh, Thursday cocktails as well that you oh, do? That's a good point. Um, yeah, I'm sure that like the promise of a little alcohol never <laughs> never really hurt an office space too much um but yeah i think i think it is it's what tim said is true it's like it's there is a seriousness about the work but the general atmosphere try is generally pretty light there's a nice it's, it feels like there's a good blend of you know introverts and extroverts as well mm. um so I so mean, yeah. there, there are, like, endless challenges that are really hard often to deal with that yeah. really, like, you know, rattle you. Mm. But I think that, um, you know, sticking around to get through them with the team that you're with, I think, says a fair bit. Totally agree. Mm. Yeah, 100%. What are you guys looking forward to over the next over the next year as we're ending out 2023? What's exciting for you guys next it's year? It's December now. It is December now okay. when we're releasing this podcast. It's <laughs> December. Right. It, we're not, it's not, you're not sort of saying that we're not recording it in October, right? No, well, I'm saying that we're recording okay. it in October. Okay, That's fine. Cool. Yeah. Everyone knows right. that. That's fine. Um, we're all truth telling on this podcast. It's good. <laughs> what are we looking forward to? Um, 
is there any product releases that are happening? Obviously, with the big launch of Grata, that puts a lot of you know energy and passion into that project. Is there anything else that's happening with the drinks over the next uh, six months or so? I mean, we'll slowly. I mean, obviously, um, the very nature of Grata is that we will we will um, use coffees from different places, from different people, from different farms. So at some point next year, we'll start thinking about what we want to do next. Mm. Um, also further developing the relationship with the Bore family of Fazenda Progresso. Um, that is something that's going to be really interesting to me and I think hopefully Daz and I can get over there at some point um, next year at the, at the right time. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's probably what I'm looking forward to most, at least from a Grada perspective. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Daz? Um, I guess hopefully been out and about in venues mm. a bit more i don't know like leading activations well maybe not leading but working activations like smarter people than me can put activations together um but yeah just like i think you know showing off the liquid and like letting it do the talking with drinks um and sort of showing off the versatility and i guess like reconnecting with industry peers um i guess further to like what tim said about the changing of the coffee it's sort of something that like during development we i think we made something from we did the same process but with coffee from kenya mm. and the flavor profile of it was sort of this like obscene like hay and chamomile and honey sort mm. of quality like it was really earthy and floral and so it's sort of i don't know it's like the idea of doing like a limited release of something like mm. that that shows a completely different quality inside to coffee um i think is quite cool as well so um, hopefully, you know, maybe that won't be next year. It'll be like the year after. But mm. um, yeah, seeing that that happen and you know what you can do when you apply, you know, bulk production to a specialty coffee mm. kind of you know lens, should mm. we say? Thank you both for coming on, especially as the last podcast for the year, for the season, <laughs> and the last new podcast for a little while as we do a bit of a refresh of Poe. For 2024, Tim, Darren, thanks so much for your time. Pleasure, thanks, Sean. Sean. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for tuning to this episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you enjoyed that last episode for 2023. We really appreciate your support for this year. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. And obviously, make sure you check out the Grata uh, website as well, which is linked up in the show notes of this podcast, so you can try it at your venue. Until next time, stay well, everyone. Today's ethos is to build solutions for hospitality businesses to retain and develop their team. We believe that the first 42 days, the first six weeks of someone's employment in any industry, but especially the world of hospitality, is so competitive, fast-paced and intense. We have an opportunity to reshape that narrative. Our team has extensive experience in the hospitality industry so we know what it takes to keep your team happy and engaged. We'll work with you every step of the way to create a plan that works best for your business. Go to 42days.co to book a consultation.